0: The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. It's good to be here. It's actually surprising. I told Adam, uh, I'm shocked that you guys have school on Labor Day weekend. Uh, But (laughs) Anyhow, so all the... (laughs) It, it is good to be with you. It's, uh, surprising, actually, I'm just coming on to my new position. I'm now actually church planning coordinator for the PCA. Uh, so I actually want to give this plug. If any of you guys are ever interested in planting a church, and I want to plant this early, uh, would you please t- talk to me after? Uh, that Basically, that's my new role, is to plant as many churches throughout the greater Philadelphia area. And the second kind of quid po- po- or quid another announcement, if you're interested in having a ministry opportunity, please see Stephanie in the back. Um, but there are a lot of church plants that could use college students to serve and uh, really uh, use your service and your gifts uh, for gospel ministry. With that said in mind, if you guys actually have your Bibles, we're going to guide straight in, because apparently I have a time limit. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Let me read God's Word, and then we'll spend our time today. Hearing again from the Lord through this word, Genesis 1, 26-31, here now reading of God's word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, and everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and so it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Let me pray as we hear God's word this morning. Father, we do pray that your word would go forth in its might and its power. uh, On this Labor Day, where perhaps none of us perhaps wanted to be at school or be tired for that reason. Pray, the Lord, that you would awake our souls to be able to receive it, give us open hearts. And we do pray that as we talk about the issue of identity, if we are confused in any way, shape, or form, if there's areas, Father, that we need to be corrected on, Father, we pray that you would correct it by your word that we might see Jesus more clearly and how he redeems all things, how he makes all things new according to his glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I started this series a long time ago at our church, and what I did was, uh, it's this phrase, Imago Dei, and out of curiosity, anyone know what that word means, Imago Dei? Right there. The image of God, right? And so the phrase itself is a Latin phrase, and the phrase actually ties into this understanding that you all, more so, all of humanity was created in the image of God. And when I started this, here's the thing, I I realized and said, we are in a, a crisis today that really the image of God is being threatened. And I say that in the standpoint of as we begin to look at all the cultural issues of today, a lot of them stem from the very basic fact that the Imaga Day, right, is really being threatened by our culture and our time. And so what do I mean by that? So when we talk about identity, right, so we could say, well, how do you simply identify as a human being? What does that mean to simply say that you're human? How do you identify yourself as male, female? How do you identify yourself even in regards to what biblical marriage is or it is not? How do you identify yourself according to your racial identity, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, other? How do you identify yourself according to your socioeconomic status? How do you identify yourself as a child of God to those who might differ according to your religious beliefs. And here's the thing. We live in a day and time where the basic issues of today, and for example, I challenge church planters on this, I say the credibility of our gospel witness is based upon two issues, race and sexuality. And on those two issues, believe it or not, what stem from that is the Imago Day. On those issues, what we tend to do in our culture and time is we rob someone of it. So for example, let me use race, since obviously I can't hide the fact that I'm Asian American. (laughs) When we typically go to someone of a different color, we look upon someone and we can make generalizations as such. And what we do is we oftentimes vilify them, dehumanize them, rob them of inherent God-given qualities that God has placed within them based simply on the idea of the Imago Dei. So here's the question I want to begin with today for all of you is to ask this question, how do you identify yourself? I can remember that as a college freshman, or even just being in college, questions of identity floated around all the time. And so the real question, I think, to begin is to say, well, how do you know where you're going if you don't know where you've been? And so for those of you guys who like to watch movies, in the movie Hitch, this was the the line, right, that Will Smith used to get the girl, right? If you remember, right, he's courting this girl who happens to be of a minority descent, and he takes her eventually to Staten Island. And he goes and he shows her, right, on the, the immigration records, right, her ancestors who first immigrated. And this was his line. You never know where you are going until you know where you've been. Now I remember in that movie, it was fascinating because you sit there and you're like, oh, that's true. It's good to know your roots. But some of the times, you know, that what we don't do is go all the way back. We don't go far enough back. We don't go to the fact of where God started it all, which is in creation. And so that's why we're picking Genesis 1. But to begin, even just another point of illustration. So uh, as college students, especially if you live in a dorm here, maybe perhaps you took a trip to Ikea, and you thought to yourself, I need a piece of furniture just like this. This is the Ikea building bookshelf. And you, perhaps maybe just like me, thought to yourself, oh, I can just build it. I don't need the instruction manual. I'm just going to take out all the parts and assemble it together. And you do so, and oftentimes this is what it will look like. And you're like, oh, it's a fail, right? You couldn't do it. And you come to hopefully the realization that you get to the point is what you needed all along was what? The instruction manual. You needed to look at what the design was, how the architect had fashioned it. And again, if I can challenge you as students, and in particular all who are gathered here today, we would remind ourselves that there is an instruction manual to which God has given us. And that's why we need to look at it. Because again, it's how he architected, how he designed us, and how he fashioned us. Just a quick story. A couple of years ago, my wife had lost her driver's license, and she was frantic. Because she was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to find out, you know, what, what, how am I going to go and, and, you know, get, uh, you know, buy things, or, you know, be able to, if I get pulled over, how are they going to know who I am, et cetera, and things like that. And she was frantic. And ultimately, what she was doing, she says, I need to find my identity. And again, I would challenge to say that some of us in this room, maybe perhaps especially as a college student, you're you're asking yourself, is this is where I begin to find my identity? I was a youth pastor for over 10 years, and I still remember that the seminars that I gave were oftentimes revolving around this very thing, because now you're beginning to ask these questions of, who am I really? And in particular, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should be asking that question even more so. What does it mean for me to be a believer in Jesus Christ, a Christian? And so ultimately, at the end of the day, there are three things I want to at least just point out in the text uh, that we're going to kind of just highlight more, in particular in Genesis 1, to 28. And in the things I want to just highlight is say this, what we see in Genesis is that we are created by God, we are created like God, and lastly, we are created for God. And each one of these things, if you can, just for a moment, just follow with me. To say that we are created by God, all creation was created by God. Our origin is found in Him and in Him alone. And you see, ultimately, at the end of the day, you and I are finite beings. We ask questions, for example, like, what high school did you come from? Where were you born? What city are you from? We have an understanding of a beginning. But when Scripture here tells us, in the beginning, you realize that what it's giving is an identity to say is that everything in creation originates with God. Therefore, God has a dubious honor to be able to say this, right? That everything in all of creation, if it's created by him, we go back to, go back to the whole Will Smith quote, Where we need to know where we're from is actually we come from him. And in our day and time, we sometimes lose that, do we not? We think to ourselves as humans, we think we have this, this honor to be able to say that we know everything. And what we don't do is to go to be able, the ability to look at Scripture and say no, We were created by him. The very phrase, in the beginning, God, presupposes or gives you this understanding that we have an eternal creator outside of time. Now we know that something was before or in the beginning, and that's why we ask those questions. But therefore here we see everything that exists is grounded in God, finds its origin in God, its being in God, its reality is found in God. He and he alone has no beginning and has no end. Therefore, when we look at Scripture, that's why this analogy of potter and the clay is there, right? And think about the idea of the creator versus the created, right? Genesis one twenty-six again, then God said, let us make. Jeremiah 18.6, behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in the hand, O house of Israel. Isaiah 64.8, but now you, O Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And Romans 9 even insinuates it once again, this idea of potter and the clay created versus the creator and if we're the created we're also then fashioned for something which is the like we were created to be like him now again if i can just highlight this the bible speaks that the only thing in all of creation that resembles his likeness is male and female humans now again i have a dog as was quoted He's a morkey, right? He's, he's Mission Impossible Kim. He is cute. He's adorable. We got him on Super Bowl Sunday. He was born December fifteenth, two 2017. So he's still a puppy. And let me make sure you understand this. As cute as he is, and he's mad cute, at the end of the day, right? He has far less of a value than any human that walks on this planet. You could give me the, the, the great Kentucky Derby, right, horse, the thoroughbred, the Mustang, whatever it might be, and find me someone, let's say, for example, with special needs who will never make, let's say, a dime in their life because of their particular disabilities. And in our day and time, sometimes we might say, and this is, again, what's all wrong with our society and our culture. We say, well, the horse is worth so much. This person, what are they going to do? And yet what we see in the Imago Dei, right, this idea to say that we're in the image of God, is to say if we're like him, there's intrinsic value that's placed within humanity, all of humanity. And we need to recapture that. To say that we're like him, then you need to ask this question, well, what is God? And if you've never fashioned or uh, tried to understand this, uh, there's at least uh, in one kind of document, the Westminster Shorter Catechism question number four answers this question. And I want you to hear this. So the question that gets asked is, what is God? And here's the quick, brief definition. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And you know, when you hear that, here's the thing. All of you should resonate and say, you know what? I'm kind of wanting to be like that. You know what is good, and therefore you want to be like that. The Ten Commandments, right, in particular, do what? They kind of resemble this idea of divine fingerprints, that we were fashioned like God in that way. If you were a Boy Scout, like I was when I was a kid, to do a good deed, you thought to yourself, well, that felt really good to help someone in need. But do you realize that's a divine fingerprint? That's who God is. He is one who fashions us in that likeness. When Genesis one twenty six says that, when God said, "Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion," that very nature t- ties into this fact: is we were created like Him. So God created man in His own image. Genesis one twenty seven cites, and so this very idea of us understanding this also then has to do with our understanding of who God is. And if you've ever thought through the idea of the doctrine of the Trinity meaning that God exists as one person coexisting as Father, Son and Holy Spirit, it's really a fascinating. Thing. I preached on this yesterday in a different church, but all that to say is this. When you understand the Godhead as a Godhead that exists in community, for those since your higher education I'll use this phrase, the word is perichoresis, that the Godhead exists to encircle and envelop one another gives you an understanding that you, your very nature for community, your very nature why you're on college, and there's a social understanding of that, is part of the divine fingerprint that you actually get to see who God is. I'm going to read you two definitions, one of which will be on the screen, but the first one I'm just going to read. Cornelius Plantinga in this question of, well, what is God? This is what he says. The persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, and defer to one another, each person harbors the other at the center of his being in constant movement of overture and acceptance each person envelops and encircles the other god's interior life therefore overflows with regard for others so let me hear you see this, or have you see this when you look at god the father the father says don't look at me he says look at my son look at the spirit when you look at Jesus, and in particular, if you want to record and look through the life of the Gospels, what do you see Jesus doing? He says, I'm on a mission from my Father to redeem and rescue that which is lost. He says, there will be one who comes after me who is far greater than me. And what you see in the very essence is this. What's wrong oftentimes with our culture and society is we want to have the buck stop with us, self-centeredness, etc. And what you realize to say is we weren't created for that. We were created for community. We are created to actually uplift the other. Marriages will fail when how? When oftentimes they become self-centered. This very nature. C.S. Lewis says it this way, right? He says this in regards to what you can look at in terms of the God. He says, in Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost if you will not think of me irreverent, a kind of a dance. For those of you guys who know what it means to be a true friend to one another, you realize that's what it's like to dance around the other. When you find yourself in love with someone, what is it like? It's like you're dancing around the other. You care more about their interests than yourself. But what do you see there? You see that you were created to be like God. Lastly, we were created to be for God. There's something unique about being, created in the, being, cr- being the creator to the created. You get to set its purpose. Not that we get to set our purpose, but that the creator gets to set its purpose. You see, we are created. You and I were created by a creator. We didn't used to be something else, and now we're this. We were created by a creator, which means we have a set purpose that God, the great architect, had designed. So imagine, again, if you have an iPhone or a smartphone. Let's use the iPhone just for the sake of reference. If you have an iPhone, right, and Steve Jobs is still around, The iPhone can't say to to Steve Jobs and say, "Look at me! I have my own purpose." Because why? Because Steve Jobs gets to say, "I created you. Everything about you, I fashioned. I architected everything about you, and I have a purpose for you. Your purpose is to be a smartphone." And the very nature of us sometimes as creations, what we don't get is, is that God created us likewise for a purpose, to reflect Him. I have three children. One of those three children, maybe at some point after this chapel, you can spot them, is actually in this room. And as much as they deny that he's a rising senior, so he's here on a college tour. Um, but all that to say is this. All my children, at the same point, will not want to say that they resemble me. But they do. <laughs> they look just like me. <laughs> it's just the reality, right? <laughs> and the funny thing is, right, sometimes in our own sense of creation, we want to say, you know what? God, we, we know we ought to be like you. Or was I really created for you? The Imago Dei says this, is that we have a fixed point. It's not a moving point. It's God himself who is the center of the universe, center of the world. We are created in fashion, his likeness. And yet sometimes in our own foolishness, we kind of follow Proverbs fourteen twelve, where it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, the point of all this is this. Genesis 1, and all of Scripture speaks of this truth. We were created by God, like God, and for God, but something messed it all up. Sin. We lost our way. We couldn't find our fixed point again. So enters Jesus, the Son of God, who by his life, death, and resurrection showed us the way once again, born again by God, like God, like him, as being renewed in the image of God, where again all things will be restored perfectly. I'm going to end with just two illustrations, and then we'll be done for today. The illustration I want to begin is first, ah, sorry, is first is, I like to listen to TED Talks, and I, I find TED Talks fascinating. I got to listen to this TED Talk this past week, and it was about this woman in particular. So her name is Li and she was with her colleague Laura Ling in China as a reporter, and she was captured by North Korean guards. She was held for 140 days in a North Korean prison. Now again, as a South Korean American, uh, she had all kinds of things told her about North Korea, in particular how evil and how bad they were. And so when she went into this prison, she was absolutely afraid. She was like, oh, my goodness, they're the enemies. I'm going to vilify them, and I can't believe I'm doing it. So everything about her, all her apprehensions were up. And she's like, I can't believe it. So she you know, was scared. She was afraid. She couldn't sleep. She shouldn't do all these things. And that's how she came into this prison. Vice versa, the North Korean guards, in particular the female guards that were put around her, had the same exact propaganda told to them. All these Americans were bad. All they do is bad things, et cetera, and things like that. So they treated her unfairly to begin with. But it was all, all of a sudden, slowly but surely, after the uh, during the 140 days that she was there inside that prison, that they began to talk to one another. They realized that they all liked gir- boys. They realized that they had deep life questions about what they were going to do, dreams and ambitions, friends, et cetera, and things like that. Basically, what she says is she realized over time is she came in and she vilified them. She saw them as the enemy. She saw them as less than human. She couldn't see the image of God in them. But it was through the course of interaction that she began to realize is that they're people, just like her, and that rather than stand as enemies, that they could be friends. Do you guys realize that this is the gospel displayed for us? The Imago Dei, the reason why it becomes so fascinating is because this is what Jesus did for us. The Bible says in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know that word sinners there could be translated enemies? You see, everything about the Imago Dei is true for us to realize that what Jesus did for us. You see, Very easily, we know based upon our brokenness and our sinfulness, God could say, you know what? Oh, you're less than human. You could believe the propaganda that you're not going to be loved by God, that you're the enemy of God. But God says, no. Everything that was lost according to the fall, He restores. He restores so well that He says, I'm not going to treat you like an enemy. I'm going to treat you as one who is fully known and fully loved. What if Christians today, who understand that this is what Jesus did for us, that we could do that to those in this world? That when we take a look at the issues of our day, in particular revolving around race and sexuality, that we say, you know what, we're not going to vilify, but rather instead we're going to demonstrate a grace-filled compassion, the same thing Jesus did for us, and say, I'm not going to treat you like an enemy but I'm going to treat you as someone who could be fully restored by the love of Jesus, what would it look like? Let me end, since I feel like I do have time. It'll be a quick four-minute video. And if I can, what I want to do is say that this really kind of sums up everything that I had talked about today about the Imago Day. As you watch this video, would you kind of consider, again, this this narrative, and if you don't know these phrases, I'll just give it to you. It's called the meta-narrative of Scripture. It's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And it's the very thing that we talked about today. We were created in the image of God to be like him, for him, and by by him and for him, like him and for him. And yet something went wrong, and yet God in his grace and mercy restored it perfectly through the work of his son. What I hope you get is that the very nature of the image of God that we rob, Jesus restores. My prayer is that you would feel restored today knowing again what Christ has done. And as you go forth from this place, as well as you are witnesses in this day that we live, that you do not look to the other to rob them or dehumanize them, but rather, again, as Christ would look upon them. So likewise, be restorers of the image of God as you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Let's bow our heads in prayer as we end our time. Father, I do pray, Father, for the students, especially as they begin this semester, especially, Father, those who might be asking deep questions about who they are. We pray, Lord, that the preaching of your word this day might bear much fruit in their life to know again, That we were created in your image. That is what sin oftentimes, Father, robs us and reminds us again that we perhaps were not. And yet it's the beauty of your Son, Jesus Christ, that restores all things. So, Father, may your restoring work be upon those in this room. May we, Father, as your your people, as your witnesses, as, as salt and light within this earth, be reminded to go forth and be image bearers of God, who are a part of that great restoring work of the kingdom that goes forth, to say again that you're making all things new. May we rest this day in you. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.